We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two pitch, ball line to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air, Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history! Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center! He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well. And it's gone. Robin. A two-run home run. The Brewers take the lead. Morgan, a smash up the middle. Base hit the center. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week, so I want to say a happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners and all of our listeners. I don't mean to exclude you, just if you choose not to participate in this happy Thanksgiving that I wish you had that option. Thankful for you, Adam. I'm thankful for our GSPN uh, colleagues, I'm thankful for all the listeners, and I'm thankful that we get to talk about a lot of Wisconsin sports, movies, mu- music, things of that nature. Before we get into the Milwaukee Brewers and what's happened in the last week or so, how you doing, Adam? Thanks for joining me on this November morning. I'm doing well, Andrew. Happy, happy Thanksgiving to you. You know, coming soon and. To all of the listeners, I'll echo that. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, it's been a few days. I mean, there's some brewers I I have been thankful for that we'll we'll certainly talk about. I think a lot of the kind of the nuts and bolts early offseason stuff, certainly the manager being a bit more than nuts and bolts is out of the way. And I will say I'm getting slightly antsy, like to let's get this thing going, you know, let's Let's start to get an idea of what this team's going to look like. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm just eager to 
to get a shape of who are the Brewers next season and who will they be in the seasons beyond that? Yeah, we're on the same page with that. Um, I think for me, the, the thing I'm most worried about, and this is mostly a bit, um, is that I'm going to have to apologize to Ken Rosenthal uh, for uh, judging his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, vague reporting uh, last week where he said the Brewers were in sell mode, vaguely. Um, because I'm very unsure at this point. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there was one move that made me more unsure than others, and it might be one that is kind of surprising. But we're going to start in a place of uh, of sadness, Adam. I think it's important that we get that out of the way. We get our grieving done, um, you know, face-to-face in front of one another. It'll be very cathartic in a way. But obviously we knew there were non-tender decisions coming. Um, for the Brewers and all of Major League Baseball. And there were a few in particular that I'm going to say it. I mean, you and I talk privately all the time, and we expected it um, in both cases. The Brewers have non-tendered Rowdy Tellez, Brandon Woodruff, and J.C. Mejia. The team tendered Willie Domas, Tyrone Taylor, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Ho- Hobie Milner, Yoel Piamps, Devin Williams, Bryce Wilson, and newest acquisition, Jake Bowers. We'll get into that later. Um, the... The Brandon Woodruff one is one that is going to hit the hardest. Um, obviously, Woody spent a lot of time injured this season from April uh, through early August uh, with shoulder inflammation, and then he had an injury right before the playoffs started that wiped him out of the playoffs and is going to um, keep him out probably through 2024 or at least most of the season. Uh, sad about Rowdy as well. We'll talk about that, obviously. But Brandon Woodruff's injury coming at the worst possible time and the non-tender, which obviously there's s- still a possibility that he can come back to the Brewers though. At this point, I'm saying in my mind, it's not likely. And so we've seen, you know, one of the best pitchers in franchise history throw his last pitch for the team. And that's something that is going to hit you and I hard, especially because he was our favorite pitcher to watch on the team. And obviously Milwaukee Brewers fans everywhere hard because of what he's done for the franchise. I mean, home run against Clayton Kershaw, like, Woody's a brewer, and, you know, he probably isn't going to be starting very soon, and it's tough to see. Yeah, best best pitcher in the organization. By all accounts, one of the best people in the organization. I mean, he's never given off anything but that impression in any kind of media dealings I've seen. I know he's done great work in the community, along with his wife, Joni, for many years, and they seem to be a catalyst of a lot of the work that was done kind of in rallying players and often organized by the Brewers' wives. Brandon Woodruff's wife seemed to be pretty central to that. Um, it's just, it's brutal. I mean, we've we've talked about all sorts of different events and happenings over the course of this podcast. I feel like this is the cruelest one, and this is maybe maybe one of those things that really highlights just how baseball might be might be the cruelest sport out there um there's there is a level to this that is honestly it's pretty stunning that this is just how it works i think we can all make assumptions and we'll talk about what woody's future might look like the reality is there are no guarantees though and we're not all that far removed still from a place where he was essentially ramping up and it's like you know i'm a week, ten days from, <clears throat> excuse me, from a 
pitching in the playoffs and getting the opportunity to really put in a a strong showing to back up what had been an excellent season when healthy to then catastrophe strikes, goes down injured, he ends up having surgery. Obviously, before the surgery, we get that end-of-season press conference where he ends up crying at the days. And then the Brewers are left in this admittedly really, really tough spot. Like, it it just it doesn't sit right with me, but I also... It's, it's tough to see what else they do here. What you and I had really from the moment of the injury kind of made the case for is, you know, you got to do a two-year deal here. That's the only thing that makes sense. See how he looks, let him get healthy, and then you make your decisions from there. You can come with a, a price that I guess is more realistic to that. It seems like, though, from the rumblings that are there it hasn't hasn't necessarily been like really clearly sketched out by a lot of the the major kind of mlb reporters but the kind of numbers that most people would have assumed a two-year deal might have been there for the brewers to reach an agreement with on what he wouldn't have been because it seems like there might be the option for him to get more i don't know i'm still skeptical on that i'll believe it when i see it but if the kind of you know, price range that they would have been okay doing it, and it's got to be said at that, like even just to 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 keep him on the roster in a way where if you tendered him and then you're gonna go through like, what's he gonna make? Something like thirteen, fifteen million in arbitration. Um, it would have been a very expensive year sitting out, and then you'd have had another year on top of that with no guarantee that he's. Brandon Woodruff, or that he pitches again, uh, or certainly looks like the guy he's been to this point in his career. This is still, though, one of the most, like, undeniably valuable assets in your entire organization. And if he does come back and he looks, you know, like Brandon Woodruff, the Brewers aren't going to regret this because you did. That's the one part of this that I, I find really difficult is like Brandon Woodruff's don't grow on trees and God knows how long it will be before the Brewers have a starting pitcher of this caliber on their roster again. Like you just, you can't just be like, look, it doesn't make sense financially here and we're going to go and we're going to pick someone else up to do that. You can't do that because that's not the financial world that you operate in. And so as much as I appreciate and understand how difficult it would be for a team with the Brewers payroll to pay Woody not to pitch next season and to be, you know, on the books for money that would have real risk attached to it for the season after that, the flip side of it is you now have no shot at having one of the best pitchers in baseball in his early 30s, as unlikely as that might have been. I don't know. I I understand how difficult this is, and I don't just mean the emotional sense. You can probably read out Matt Arnold's uh, statement on it in a minute, but it's kind of one where you can see it's it's something of a pulse, and you got to wreck your brain. But like on a very kind of cold, calculated level, if you get why they reach this point, I do think you've also got to consider this is a level of talents that the Brewers just aren't going to have access to again anytime soon. It doesn't look like they have anyone in their system that will be remotely close to this. And even, you know, we're hoping they're going to get some nice hauls from likely trades 
either in the next couple of months or maybe by the deadline, depending on the players. I'm still doubtful they're going to get a starting pitcher that will go on to pitch at the level that Woody pitched for the Brewers. So, yeah, I'm assuming his time at the Brewers is done. I know Matt Arnold kind of left the door open and laid his hopes out there. I, I just don't see the path, though, honestly. Basically, and I'll read this statement in a moment after I say a few other things. Basically, it's like, I, I know their mindset is is if you go through the MLB car wash and you don't get the number you want, we'll be here waiting for you for a number mm-hmm. that is cheap. Uh, and that's kind of how I read that. But and in, in going through some of the non-tenders, um, with with baseball players uh, or pitchers in particular with shoulder issues, it's I kept thinking about MLB with pitchers and uh, they're like a, a step up because of the contract st- structure from like NFL and running backs. It's like it can go from you're great to you can't play again very quickly because of the nature of shoulder injuries. It's crazy that we're sitting here saying like, man, I wish it was Tommy John because we know he would like be ready to go by 2025 and we wouldn't be having this conversation. It just sucks. Um, whereas in the NBA, Ben Simmons can be just scared to shoot free throws and just not play and, you know, keep collecting his checks. It's a difference between the leagues. It's funny how that works. Um, Matt Arnold's comments uh, today, we had to make a very difficult decision relating to one of the best pitchers and human beings in franchise history. Throughout his 10 seasons in the organization, Brandon Woodruff has represented the Brewers with class, kindness, heart, and toughness. He's recognized as a tremendous teammate, both on the field and in the community, where he and his wife, Joni, have positively impacted so many lives around them. We remain very open to his return to Milwaukee, and regardless of what uniform he wears next, Woody will always be a member of the Brewers family, end quote. Um, I think that last sentence is definitely true. In our short time following the team, Adam, I think you and I were always drawn to Brandon Woodruff's uh, uh, calm, uh, reserved, but also kind of uh, funny personality. He was great on any kind of media appearance, uh, foul territory a few weeks ago, dressing up as Travis Kelsey with his wife as Taylor Swift for uh, Halloween with the gr- great mustache he pulled off. Um, J.R. Radcliffe of the Journal Sentinel put out a tweet thread um, this week where uh, his son was at a baseball camp and said Woodruff just popped in, showed up. No one knew he was going to be there. And then when uh, Woody was rehabbing with the Timber Rattlers, JR got the chance to ask him, like, did someone set this up with you? Or, like, did, you know, or did you really just pop in? And no, that was the case. He was out getting coffee after rehab one morning and saw, like, baseball rehab, not, like, uh, uh, rehab, rehab. Just want to make that clear. Uh um, and then saw the baseball camp going on. It was like, oh, I just thought I'd make some people's day. That's not what he said, but like that had to be like the the thought process there. And that's just very cool. And you know, <laughs> Mark Adonazio saying, you know, Craig's lost uh, the community. Well, in in this case, uh, uh, the player leaving is is not a is not a traitor. It's someone that you know has been forced into a tough situation. And the community, if Brandon Woodruff's not there, that's that's a big loss. Yeah, it sure is. And I mean, I I think we certainly kind of grew to love him. And I mean, this is, this is not, a, not a pod I was like ever wanting to do. Uh, my number one and number two favorite players on this team are now gone. So I got to work out my, my new power rankings and where I'm at on Brewers. But aside from even all of the personality stuff, it's not to put that aside. It's the fact that you can marry that with the fact like 
what I love most about Woody and more than anyone else of any position on this roster is just the guy's a gamer. Like he, he just goes out there and he delivers. He goes out there, he gets it done. He loves the big moment. And that is not the case for everyone. Like that is not the case for some of the best athletes in so many sports. They can do incredible things, but they're not just, you know, kind of night in, night out. They're not, this is what I'm working towards. And this is the big moment I, I'm kind of striving to get into. And that's where I'll deliver. Like what is just for all the low key personality. He also he just took care of business in a very consistent way uh, for me. And I will acknowledge we probably have not. We definitely have. We didn't, we didn't do the Cy Young winning season. We haven't podcasted through the best of Corbin Burns as a brewer. Like Corbin Burns' best is better than Woody's best. But Woody has just managed to maintain a much, much steadier level throughout where you get something that is a greater approximation of Woody's best. Every single day you go to the ballpark. Anytime random Woody's starting, you go buy tickets. Like you're getting something that's closer to his best than I think many pitchers manage to do. Um it's no coincidence, therefore, that I believe he does likely leave the Brewers with the lowest ERA of any starter in Brewers history with I can't remember what the qualifier for for a number of starts was. Have you got that? I I don't know what the qualifier was, but it was a three one zero over uh, 680 in a third innings and it people I mean the, the special thing about that 2021 season is you got Corbin being a Cy Young winner and then you've got Woody in 30 starts with a 2.56 ERA like and <laughs> you you and I uh, you know 2022 you get 153 in a third innings of Woodruff which is you know Closer to a full workload, but then this year we only get 67. So Brewers fans have been robbed of a lot of Brandon Woodruff over the last two seasons. And God, it just sucks. Cause like you said, when you watch him locked in, it's like, it's truly special. We had the complete game shutout this year that was just like one of our favorite moments of the season. Like, um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say anything other than this sucks and ban shoulders. I, I do also think though. This being a like you mentioned the point, and I don't want to hold up that, for example, Ben Simmons during that time, or honestly even during somewhat, you know, the current Ben Simmons era, can just continue to like hold a place on NBA rosters and pretty sentry to that and bounce around the league if that's what it comes to, because different teams get sick of him, other teams don't have a look, whatever that might be. I there is something in the financial structure of baseball, and I know I'm not like breaking new ground here, that is obviously off in terms of how much it's skewing towards some markets over others. But this is maybe one of actually the more painful kind of examples of that because teams don't have the possibility to treat their players like talent. They're treating them like salary. So it's it's not about what you have as an asset and what you're lucky to have and what way can we work about this. For all the flaws in the NBA, the shape of its of its uh, salary cap system and admittedly being helped significantly by the rising cap and the influx of TV money that has allowed even smaller markets to like put in significant amounts of money. The Milwaukee Bucks being a good example of that. 
But it is the idea of, you know, you can lock someone in, five-year deal, big, big money. And it's not like it's out of the realms of, well, this is what you could spend. It's like the established spending slots on your roster do offer up something that baseball not having that only only hurts the smaller franchises so much more. And it's it's not necessarily just because of what's done at the top end. It's because of just the lack of inbuilt flexibility in the model that's there to just be like, well, there are certain guys where these are our best guys and we're prepared to kind of roll with some of the punches on that. Because the other side of this too is we wouldn't want to see it that way. But the Brewers are trying to trade Brandon Woodruff to get anything back so you didn't have to non-tender him. But your system's also flawed when a situation like this can arise. And it's like, they're trying to trade him. They have zero leverage. Like, no one needs to trade him because you know he's about to be non-tendered. Now, we'll talk about someone the Brewers traded for, um, who I saw some tweets that he was going to be non-tendered. So they really didn't have to do that. Um, I just think it is telling us something about the ways in which, you know, baseball is broken um the kind of big picture ways where it doesn't it doesn't help the brewers at all and that's not to say as always that the brewers can't go quite a bit beyond what they currently do that mark adonazio and the ownership group can't look to be in a more competitive place or if that they can't well then further investment is needed or a new approach is needed but there's something just very unsavory about this all around that I would think shouldn't sit well with baseball as a whole. That someone like Brandon Woodruff and how synonymous he's been with the Brewers, how good, how special he's been to the Brewers. Like, literally, just in like the space of a week, it can go from Woody's going to lead them into the playoffs and this team has high hopes to, oh, well, actually, he's injured and he's going to be non-tendered in a couple of months and that's the end of his time with the franchise. Like, uh, we we did a year of podcasting where we were working off the assumption that Corbin Burns, we should actually talk about Corbin Burns and his media um, spot this week too, um, but that he was going to be, you know, not a brewer for much longer, whatever way that comes about, whether it's we trade this, this off season, whether it's we trade at the deadline, whether he sees true his deal and he, he's gone as a free agent. But the whole thing was, well, Woody's going to lead this team into, you know, whatever, whatever year. Like, he's he's the guy. He'll be a slightly cheaper extension. It will make sense for him to do it. And that safeguards you, and it means you've still got some really top-end pitching. Just like that, the whole thing's crumbled. The whole thing's crumbled. And I feel... I feel really sorry for Matt Arnold, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and people are like, Matt Arnold seems like... You can you could feel the pain, and I think reporters who spoke to him talk about that. It's like, yeah, that's on a personal level. And I also think like he may have spent many years going back to when he was part of David Stern's front office, mapping out the future of the team. And this is like this is just the most jarring and kind of quick far way it could be turned on its head. It's this isn't even an injury that occurred in like June and you've time to think about it you've time to work things out you get your head around it. it's just like it went from what he's gonna what he's gonna deliver the goods and set us up to succeed to oh see you later what he's been nice the last 10 years 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Yeah, um, John Palmarosi uh, just tweeted that, uh, as I reported on MLB Network a few moments ago, Brandon Woodruff is drawing interest from a majority of MLB teams in free agency. Woodruff is expected to sign a multi-year deal following surgery. The Brewers declined to offer him a 2024 contract at Friday's deadline. I did not get mad about MLB reporters being just like the most useless newsbreakers possible until doing this podcast because they they just they will tweet nothing more than I've seen any other uh, sports reporter tweet. He's drawing answers from the majority of teams. Is it 16? Is it 25? Give me something I can work with. God, why are they all like this? Jeff Passens is the only one worth this salt. I don't know where that phrase came from. Um, it's got anyway. to be 16-ish, right? For the reasons that the Brewers couldn't engage in this. Like there are there are a whole bunch of other franchises who just will not Here's be the... able to afford to play this game of let's pay injured Brandon Woodruff. The Braves, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers should all have offered him whatever he wants today. Get him in your clubhouse, rehab him on your dime, and then hope he's ready to go by 2025. If he's not, oh well, we tried. They're like a high revenue, as they call them, team should just like get it done immediately. It's a no brainer for a team that does not operate like uh, the Brewers or a Rays or someone like that. Did you did you mention the Cubs there? Uh, they should also do it as well. I I would 
I would bite through my lip the first time that he pitches against the Brewers in 2025. And I might make a Craig Council like bobblehead just to or buy one just to smash it. Uh I I did like this is this is dark stuff. <laughs> this is dark oh, dark Lord. stuff. But it it did it did occur to me that I don't think the Brewers would trade with the Cubs, trade Corbin Burns to the Cubs. But the way this played out with Woody did open up a scenario where Craig Council could have Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff in Chicago with whatever else, whatever kind of other stuff they want to do there. Um, and it, like just in an abstract sense, I don't think that's actually going to happen. In an abstract sense, it's fascinating how easily things can kind of fall apart like that and that's the realities of being a smaller market in baseball. And it's also just some of the, the cruel realities of kind of the, the various machinations that are at work and trying to build a roster in this league. It's grim. It's really, really grim. I, I second your point. I think pretty much every team in baseball should be in for Brandon Woodruff and be prepared to take that flyer. I would have liked if the Brewers would, I think, like, let's imagine we were doing that podcast if they had done the two-year deal, and even if it was at a decent number. I I really don't think you and I would have been here, like, dragging the Brewers for making a financially reckless decision. If anything, we're just desperate for the Brewers to make a financially reckless decision. Um, but I, I think in that case, you'd be like, this is your guy. There is an element of it's earned here, but there's also an element of... If this does work out somehow, you don't want to see him go somewhere else. Like, because there may not be anywhere else that needs him more than the Brewers would in that situation. So it's really sad. Really, really sad. Yeah. Um, I do want to say uh one more thing. Uh so in Ken Rosenthal's reporting, um, about, you know, basically saying the exact same thing Morosi just said. Uh, I want to read this paragraph. Woodruff's agent, Bo McKinnis, attended a college football game Saturday only to repeatedly see his cell phone light up with text messages from club executives. Um, And then later in the article, it's like uh, McKinnis said, the outlook on him is expanding from everything Dr. Meister told us he's expecting a full recovery. I love just the difference in uh, Craig Council's agent and Brandon Woodruff's agent, and that Council's agent is just making the radio rounds being like, lifelong Chicagoan, my guy's a Cub, I'm so excited. And this guy's like, yeah, 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 I'm trying to watch Mississippi State versus Southern Miss. <laughs> I, I, I assume that's what game he was that's, at. I have no that will be how you become Brandon Woodruff's agents, to be fair. Yeah, you, you meet him in a college football game. He's just like slugging uh, light beer uh, to be named later when we get a light beer sponsor. Uh, and just being like, well, people stop texting me. We can figure this out next week. I just found that very amusing, so I wanted to call that out. Uh, shall we go to the other non-tender, Adam? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, J.C. Mejia was a big fan favorite. I'm kidding. Um, uh, J.C. Mejia, uh, non-tendered, su- suspended for the whole season next year, I think, because of a second positive synthetic steroid test. So, you know, uh, go play elsewhere, bud. Um, Rowdy Telez, the cruising for a bruising player of the year in 2022, um, which it wasn't in any of the press releases, but I assume that was just a small oversight that will get corrected in uh, later edits. Um, had a tough 2023, hit 215, 291, 
376, 13 homers in 105 games, OPS plus of 82, um, and his uh, OPS was 100 points short of where it was in 2022. Dealt with a lot of injuries, including a freak injury, um, something we've been expecting. But, Adam, uh, there's there's more to this kind of talking point, uh, especially with kind of the way reporters reported things at the time or kind of insinuated things. Uh, before Rowdy was non-tendered, the Brewers acquired Jake Bowers from the Yankees uh, for Jace Avina and Brian Sanchez, a first-base outfield type is Bowers. Um, and basically how this was painted by people reporting it was cheaper version of Rowdy Tlez. Um And when I say that, I, I, I want to make the point that when they were making the comparison, it was the cheaper version of the bad version of Rowdy yeah, Tellez. Yeah. So I, I was going to say his... that it's the, it's the cheaper version of the Rowdy Tellez who generally can't get off the bench. Yeah, and so last year, or I'll just do the career numbers because they're not much better. So Bowers, in career OPS plus of 80 um, in the last few seasons, uh, I think he had a really good 2022 season in AAA. He changed his stance. He's hitting the ball harder. He's also striking out more. So hitting the ball hard, but striking out 34% of the time. Um, had 12 homers last year, a 413 slug. Still an OPS plus of 87, so 13 uh, points below league average there. Uh, folks saying that he figures to be in the mix to start at first base if they keep him on the roster. You got a very cheap arbitration number. I can't remember what that was. Um, 1.7 million was the projection by MOB trade rumors and he's team controlled through 2026. So a flyer on a guy that has not performed a pro ball, 27 years old. Um, and profile is Rowdy Tellez, but he can't get on the field. And you trade him for Jay Savina, who was MLB pipeline ranked him as Milwaukee's 29th best prospect. Um, and Brian Sanchez, who I think was not in the top 30. I don't often get on here and do things like this, but I straight up don't like this. Anytime Jake Bowers comes to the plate in 2024, I want him to do well, so I don't want to blame him. It's not his fault the Brewers traded for him, but I like J uh, Jay Savina's patience and power that he showed at admittedly the lower levels. Um, I don't like giving up something that could be something for a guy that was about to be non-tendered that you could have just tried your luck at when he was non-tendered. Um, so I've given Matt Arnold a lot of credit for some of the moves that he's made over the last year. Like when he was trading uh, Bob Moore uh, for something, I was like, you know what? Good. It does, doesn't look like he's going to be anything. And I just don't know that we're to the point with Avina that it looks like he's like, oh, he'll never turn into anything. I think there's still hope there. And trading him for a guy that has shown no ability to hit consistently in the major leagues is just, uh, it's, you know, we have Rowdy Tellez at home. It's it's a money decision, straight up, and that's kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. Yeah, I saw Yankees beat writers say Jake Byers was almost certainly going to be non-tendered. So even if Jay Savina's stock is falling, and Jay Savina's stock is falling, don't don't give up a prospect. <laughs> don't give up a prospect. How about wait and do what other teams will do at you and scoop up, you know, what's gonna be it I just I don't get it. I think you've you've made exactly the point I wanted to make on this, which is 
for all the idea of replacing Rowdy Tellez, what the Brewers needed to look at in replacing Rowdy Tellez is something that was closer to the 2022 version of Rowdy Tellez, not the 2023 version. And you bring Jake Bowers in, if it's, oh, he's cheaper, Rowdy Tellez, okay, I'm game for that. If that means, you know, the money saved is going to be added on and there's going to be, you know, a really notable starting first baseman and that's how the pecking order will be established. It's tough to buy into that at this point without hearing, you know, hearing anything to that effect. I wouldn't be convinced of that. Um, There's not really anything compelling here, though, in terms of like, I'd be looking at options of what you could do internally. I'd be, I'd be playing. Yeah, this might be actually something that would get me more interested in the question that we get lots of times a year, where it's like, you know, should the Brewers be trying to make Yelly a first baseman? <laughs> this is the kind of thing that would have me really on board with that because I'm like, well, got to be something better. There's got to be some option that is better than this. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Tyler Black at first base. In comparison to this, so there's definitely an element where I'm going to reserve full judgment until oh, yeah, we get sure. until we get to a place where we see what the makeup is of the roster, what the depth of first base looks like. Um, but this is not compelling at all, and I personally, and I am biased. People who listen know my fondness for Rowdy Tellez. Uh, I would have been betting on a, the chances of a rowdy bounce back year, like very significantly over the chances of Jake Bowers becoming like a really notable difference maker for the Brewers next season. So it's tough. It's tough. It's not not exactly what you want to see at this point. It wasn't a surprise as you you kind of set this up. It wasn't a surprise that Rowdy was non tendered. But it was a surprise that it seemed like they were acting almost in tandem. They were setting it up with this move and creating something of a feeling of, oh no, is this is this it? Is this the solution? Uh, because it really does not seem like a solution. It would it would take the most incredible foresight and you know a trend booking year, a breakout at twenty seven, I believe it was. You said. No, he's twenty eight. He's twenty eight. Um, that would. Did he have a? Did he have a November birthday? For some reason, no, I thought our October October six. Okay. Maybe you read you read some article on him from this year, and he was twenty seven at that time. But, mm. yeah, not not all that inspiring. And it's really going to be a case of well, let's see what else they're going to do and how that's going to shake out. Uh, I'm gonna miss Rowdy. I'm like that's Rowdy. Had an absolutely brutal year on the field last year. He was one of the easiest like guys to root for, personalities to root for. Just people who, honestly, in the the kind of the long, sometimes arduous MLB season, one of the guys that I'm sure this stands in the in the clubhouse. It certainly stands as a fan, where it's like he'll make you laugh, he'll raise a smile, like. There's just something there that made him incredibly endearing figure all around. And it is a real shame that the baseball production just fell off from that. And you can't 
defend that at that point. Um, but I'm very, very sad to see him go. I, I think him and Woody going is honestly a massive loss to a certain kind of energy. They're two different guys, but I do think both kind of encourage uh I don't know, positive vibes and a feel-good energy in the team in different ways. And that's two significant losses that if you don't have kind of ready-made, I don't know, candidates to step up and fill that vibe in terms of personality. Um, Or if you're not bringing in, which I don't think they're going to be bringing in big personalities, because often big personalities can... Even, you know what, Mark Hanna, Mark Hanna's gone too. Like, there's there's a significant volume of, like, good vibes <laughs> that have gone here. And that makes things different. And how you respond and how you round out the roster from that will be crucial. I mean, for example, in doing some of this stuff, going from Andrew McCutcheon to Jesse Winker, and we're not talking about how either of those guys, you know, performed as baseball players, but that in its own right was somewhat eyebrow-raising. And now the Brewers, I think, are in a position where there's a lot of very popular figures who I think brought positive energy to the team, and they're gone. And you've got a you've got a new manager who's going to have his own dynamic too. Of course, he's been a part of things, but it's, it's an interesting kind of, um, I don't know, I guess unknown to throw in the mix for the Brewers too is that we're also seeing the kind of shape of the clubhouse change and big voices, big leaders. If Corbin gets traded too, like to lose Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Rowdy Telez. There's one all... more domino on there that would be the biggest of them all in terms of, I think, clubhouse presence uh, based on you know what we hear, and that's Willie Adamas who could be sure. on the move if they really start to move things if, if we're closer to the Rosenthal report than passing. So yeah, this the shape of this clubhouse is very different than it was when we started this in 2022, that's for sure. I think though, if like if Willie went too, and Corbin's gone, you've I'm really struggling to find then like one who are your leaders, and then to to say what is the personality like? It's Yelly is is last man standing in terms of like real experience, real profile. I think William Petreras certainly seems like someone with a big personality and is backing up his play to ascend to that level. Obviously, Freddie Peralta is you know a very yeah. affable character, but. You're asking different questions of all those guys. Everyone's role becomes different and kind of just filling that kind of on the way up so that it's refilling the whole way down the system. That's that's its own challenge. Absolutely. Um, moving on to other moves. Um, I think this was the first of the things that happened, but Adri- Abraham Toro has been traded to the Oakland Athletics for right-handed pitcher Chad Patrick Toro. Was a non-tender candidate. Um, the addition of Oliver Dunn to the organization and the 40-man and then Tyler Black's ascendance kind of made him surplus the requirements in terms of his skill set and what his role could be within the organization. Toro, a guy that when he was here, performed pretty well, had a really good year at AAA. I always thought like maybe he deserved a few more at-bats than he got, especially when um, Owen Miller started to, to slump. But obviously, I think the biggest issue with Toro getting at bats was probably his glove wouldn't play. Um, and the Brewers were the best defensive team in baseball. So sacrificing defense was not something they were willing to do. And that ended up getting them to the playoffs. Chad Patrick 
uh, spent last year at Double A with uh, Arizona first, and then Oakland, uh, and then had um, a twenty-one and two-thirds innings pitched in Triple A with Las Vegas uh, in the PCL. Um, soon the A's will go to Las Vegas, and we didn't talk about that because of all the other things that happened. I have thoughts. Um, You've for, still got time. For, we're not. We're not finished yet. You can carve out an opportunity to do that if you'd like. That's true. Um, Patrick was a fourth round pick in 2021 by the Diamondbacks, obviously most recently in the A's organization, 25 years old, 496 ERA across 176 innings pitched. Um, uh, has primarily been used as a starter. And uh, uh, I don't really think he'll factor in too much based on what I've read about him. So that's all I have to say about that. Is that Force Gump? Is that what Force Gump said? Or said, said someone else? I don't know. It's not one of my favorite movies. I'll be honest, Andrew. So I directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> I don't have an arsenal of Forrest Gump quotes off the top of my head. I I've got the same one or two that everyone has. So that'll be about it. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates, and sometimes that box contains a right-handed pitcher with two first names. Yeah, I have no thoughts on this. And honestly, even on Toro, I was always very suspicious of Toro in terms of I don't think that level of production would have held up if he did get any kind of opportunity. So I think it's one of those where it's easy to look back on what he did throughout the season and be like, yeah, he was kind of good. He should have got more playing time. I I don't I don't think he was that guy. He probably should have got more playing time, but I, I'm not really convinced that they missed out on a whole lot, I think, with meaningful playing time. Would he necessarily have proven to be something that was relevant, that mattered? It's not impossible. I mean, there's also something that I'm kind of grappling with with all this, too, is there's being useful and, like, kind of being a source of joy or some kind of spark in season, right? And then there's, in the cold light of the off season when you're trying to look at what a roster is going to be planning for a full season, you see some of those names, you're like, yeah, that ain't it. And when I like, I'm not looking to shade him. This is where I'm at kind of on Andrew Monasterio right now, where Andrew Monasterio was like a really important piece who kind of elevated came, plugged in some gaps, some nice moments defensively, some nice moments offensively. But then at the prospect of like, what are your opening day starters? And you're like, See, it gets very, very different than in season when he's kind of got a nice run. He was just there because you needed a you needed a body to kind of go and you know feel light ups. I, I think that's kind of that's something I'm wrestling with. And Toro is that kind of type to me. Quadruple A esque players, I think, is is maybe a part of this. You know, in the NBA, you like to talk about. Uh, 82 game players and 16 game players um and i think toros and the monasterios are like the 30 game 40 game 50 game stretches in a season you need to get when you're in a pinch when a 162 game player is on the il that's that's kind of how i view guys like that um and we got we got a lot of guys uh, next season that's, it's, that it's if you start from that point like let's say if monasterio does have a like if we're having to budget for monasterio production and then he goes on the IL, it's like who who is the monasterio to monasterio? And I think that's where that's where that gets grim. It's fine when 
things go a certain way and you find something and steps up into that. But for as much as, say, BA had a disappointing season, like starting a season with Brian Anderson or Luis Arias as your kind of starting points, I do think is pretty different to if you find yourself in a spot where you're like, you're planning that, okay, well, you know, Bonacerio was good there. I mean, we could get that again. I think that's the kind of, they're the kind of decisions that when you settle on, okay, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that the Brewers are going to say, like, we don't know. It could, like, they might just be like, Tyra Black's ready and he's eating Andrew Monasterio's lunch. But they're the kind of things you got to weigh up because if you get one of those wrong and all of a sudden you're settling at a lower level for what your, your starter is, then you're also probably settling at a lower level beyond the line and the whole thing just kind of drags itself down in the slowest, most kind of disappointing and underwhelming way possible. Yeah, so much of this is just, God, I wish baseball's offseason went a little faster. Because we don't know, like, I'm leaning more than I was last episode into the Brewers are going to punt 2024 to an extent. But if we go into the first week of December and they sign Jamer Candelario, uh, Nick Martinez, Mitch Garver, whoever it may be, make a Corbin trade where they get some MLB ready prospects, uh, that could change my tune. But yeah, when you talk about like, are you going to... Uh, go into 2024 with non-starters and starters roles, it becomes a question of, uh, you know, what are we really doing here? Um, but all that has to play out. I wish I wish we would get just like in the midst of this recording, just a big breaking news crime would just flash up on my computer. That would probably be a sign that I have a virus, so I'm glad that that's not happening. And then uh, the Brewers were traded Corbin Burns for Jordan Westbrook, D.L. Hall, and insert a filler prospect here. Aaron Nola just signed back with the the Phillies yesterday, seven year deal. Um, so it sounds like the, the starting pitcher market's heating up. Uh, Dylan Cease from the White Sox is rumored to uh, be available. So I think I think in the next couple of weeks, um, we could get some some traction on whatever uh, Corbin Burns market looks like. So exciting times with that. Um, shall we move on to? Uh, the the manager press conference, Adam. Let's do it. All right. So, what day was that at this point? Um, November sixteenth. Um, today it was is the Thursday. So yeah. So last Thursday, Pat Murphy, uh, unveiled as the new Brewers manager. Uh, Ricky Weeks unveiled as the new associate manager. Is that what they're calling it? Um, Correct. Perfect. Um, yeah. Here. Here we go. You know, I'm used to bench coach, Adam. Uh, these baseball titles, you know, they're they're changing uh, all around. I think, what was it, Walker McKinvin, uh, his new title is the run prevention coordinator, which is like the sickest title um, that you could possibly have. You're like, what's my job? It's to make sure none of them motherfuckers score any runs. And uh, hashtag sorry, Ty. Um, if you tag Ty in the Discord at any point today, gspn.info, do hashtag Andrew sorry. And say that to Ty. Anyway, um, Pat Murphy unveiled uh, as manager, and uh, I think uh, we kind of uh, got exactly what we expected out of Pat in that first uh, interaction. Uh, just like firing off bits and busting chops of uh, media members 
for their questions, just funny quips here and there, some self-deprecating stuff, and just uh, showing that gruffness and humor that we came to expect from him, and then also just outlining uh, kind of what his philosophy is in terms of leadership. Love and discipline were the two words uh, that were used, and you know that's also what I have gotten from Ty's leadership at GSPN, so I think it's a really good like alignment between the Brewers' values now at manager and GSPN's values. Murph also kind of made it clear that sometimes people don't you know, they don't know which one of those they need or they can't recognize when they're actually getting one and they think it's the other or so I look his interesting press conference. He is he is entertaining in a very gruff, old school, ball busting manager kind of way. He is very, very smart, which allows him to be that entertaining. And uh, because he is he is often one or two steps ahead of the people who are asking the questions or like it's it's kind of it's a feeling of you know I've taught you all of this and I know the kind of things you're going to ask me and I know the kind of things get asked in this setting and you know I'm going to have some fun with this I think we're going to have some fun with it we've talked plenty about council being just boring as hell in terms of the way he would approach a lot of that media stuff um look results of the field are going to matter a lot I also I think in line with what we've kind of just been discussing. I'm not giving Pat Murphy a pass <laughs> just yet, but there could be a lot of results in the field that is out of his control. And I also, like, without really being straight out said, there were a couple of just little moments where there's things Matt Arnold even said where I, I think the discussions have been had. I think, I think Murph might have mentioned, you know, we know that there are challenges ahead, you know, and I was, I was kind of, I was reading in between some of that as much as we were being given. And it does seem like Pat Murphy and Ricky Weeks are fully aware of what they're taking on and what the possible reality of that is going to look like. And possibly even more so if that's the case, the things that are going to be really important are going to be his managing on a more like human level. Um, his, his help in, developing some of the Brewers' best young prospects and then developing winning habits again. If if winning is no longer a given or won't necessarily be a norm for the franchise in the way that it has been throughout much of the regular season, then those habits are going to have to be built up by people who are part of that. And again, to the conversation we talked about earlier, the changing shape of the clubhouse, just, there may be less of those guys around on the roster. And in that regard, Pat Murphy's importance in kind of Bring home what that's about. Ricky Weeks, from his experience, likes a yelly. Like it's it's going to become more central to it. Although hopefully it doesn't come to that in an immediate sense or in a way that isn't going to be kind of really exciting for us to watch play out. Um, I will reiterate. I do think the Brewers can start a rebuild pretty aggressively, and you know if you get quality prospects with the prospects you already have, it could be a very very short turnaround before this team is really good again. And that turnaround could be exciting. It doesn't have to be something where fans are dreading a new season, particularly with like what Jackson Churio even is continuing to do around the baseball globe at the moment. You know, it's it's something that's there. There's real opportunity, but it, it feels like both manager and associate manager are very clear about what this role could end up being. 
and they're up for that challenge. And if they can give the players what they need to make sure that in the long term the Brewers are going to be successful, I do think really important with this, and it was flagged up, and it's part of the Ricky Weeks hire for sure, um, is just continual kind of strong relationship management. And part of that is with the players, but another part of that is with the fans and the community. And it's it's continuing that kind of strong bond and feeling between the Brewers and Brewers fans. Craig Council has been a godsend for them until the moment he wasn't on that front because of how easy it was to play into. I think Ricky Weeks is going to be important in that role. And hopefully important in a much more hands-on baseball sense too but i like you can see the shape of what they want to do here or what they hope it can be so much of this is just impossible to judge until well one we see what roster they're gonna have to work with and then two we start to see what they get out of that roster and how guys carry themselves and what the vibes are like and really what the brewers are building towards i don't dislike pat murphy by any stretch though. Like I, I this could work out well. What working out well is though, that's kind of the greater uncertainty at the moment. It's like what is what is the measure of success that he's going to be measured against actually going to look like? There's there's no certainty on that at this point. Yeah, the potential for the quality of the meal is going to be determined by the quality of the ingredients that he has at his disposal, and then we can judge from there. And so that's out of his hands until we get to spring training and we see what this roster looks like. Uh, important point about Ricky Weeks, associate manager, is it seems like he's going to be very hands-on with players and just relating to them on the former player level, and he knows what it's like to navigate a 162-game season. Um, and he can kind of bridge that gap between Pat and the players, if there is one. I mean, it's just, it's like we said about Craig, you know, he was a young manager um, and former player, uh, won two World Series as a player, played in Milwaukee, and that has to matter to a degree on a relatability scale, and I think uh, Ricky brings to that as well. I mean, guys on this team can remember watching Ricky Weeks play baseball and seeing his highlights, so uh, that's not nothing. I mean, and you know, Ricky letting out the "Let's fucking go," uh, which is you know made the rounds on the internet as it should. Uh, Love that he's seems to be a you know an intense guy and uh, someone that is like if if you told him spring training started immediately at that press conference, he would have been in baseball pants within the next like five minutes. He was ready to go. Um, I want to point out some of my favorite quotes uh, from Pat before we transition to something I found interesting and something that demonstrates a uh, real feel for the room and Milwaukee and Pat Murphy's on Pat Murphy's part. Uh, so first one is you're both fiery yet funny was the question. How would you describe Pat Murphy? He goes, I'm a big softie. I've been I've been rated high as a funny man. Scout scale has me at 70 and I think I've lived up to it. That was a good one. Um and then uh, the where was it? This is it was the new Mac one. Uh, when someone asked, "Will you call for bunts?" He said, "I bet I don't bunt one time this year." Pause. I don't think Ricky will bunt either. So you know, not commenting on his baseball philosophy, but just noting that he and Ricky aren't getting in the boxes. Yeah. Season. See, when I when I saw that quote, and I mean saw it because that was my first encounter to it. If I thought it was different than it was, but no, it's very clearly meant as. He will not be in the batter's box bunting, and neither will Ricky Weeks. 
I've I've got a an inkling that the Brewers analytics department will also tell Pat Murphy you are not bunting very much this season either. So uh, I think I think it'll still be true. Um, the question about Craig Council. Here's what I wanted to get to. He said, or he was asked, you go back a long way with Craig Council. Do you see your relationship changing with him now that you're on field rivals? He says, realize that there's 37 years there. I recruited him in high school. <laughs> he didn't like me during his college career. I was pretty tough on him. Then towards the end, he started to realize. It's 37 years. You don't have that meaningful relationship. Uh, and then it goes away. Now it's taking on a new form. Does it change? Like every other relationship, it changed from when I was coaching him in college to being his bench coach. So is it going to change? Sure. I thought going into this, we were going to get a lot of like flowery, nice language quotes, praising Craig and their time together. And Pat uh, avoided it in a way that I thought didn't diminish Craig at all, acknowledges that there's still a relationship there, but didn't say anything that was going to be a quote that was going to annoy Brewers fans. And I thought, I, I think on a human level, he accomplished both of those goals. So I was pretty impressed by that. I will tip my hat to the Brewers, I think, generally on this, as I think they have read the room very, very well on how Brewers fans feel. And I don't think they have to read the room. They're in the room, too. Like, <laughs> internally, you know, there will be a lot of people who are pretty pissed off about what happened and how it went down. Um, I think with the exception of, like, a thank you Craig graphic that went up on social media and, honestly, these things happen. Um, I know plenty about that sort of stuff. <laughs> There hasn't been a whole lot because even like Arnold hasn't gone out of his way. Like no one, no one has. And even I am not at this point going to do any kind of about face and uh, praise the comments made by Mark Adonazio. But that line that he came out with, which will stick, which is also like it rings completely hollow because we know some of the other reasons that factor into a decision like that in terms of the, you know, the funds made available for key baseball personnel, including manager. But that whole, you know, Craig has lost us element. That was smart. He may, he may have looked and sounded like a fool and may look and sound like a fool forever, but it did set a, a kind of a level of dialogue from the brewer side of thing from the beginning, which wasn't just we're going to continue to pine over this guy and it it did flip that to some extent, which I do think like a couple of weeks on is worth noting. It still reads ridiculous. I think it's still a ridiculous thing to say. You could have found better ways to do it, but I do think what was the message behind it did kind of set the tail for that somewhat. And I, you know, I think everyone else, everyone's kind of over it. Like there weren't many questions within the room that wanted to focus on that. I'm going to guess because the beat guys are just like sick of having to like write and talk about Craig Council for the last two weeks. And they're just maybe a general feeling of screw that guy. He's gone now. Let's look forward. And I'm with it. Like that's, I, I mentioned on the last podcast, I think we had our last kind of in-depth conversation about him. Like we're, we're probably not going to do that until the regular season. I mean, I played him a couple of times in spring training. Maybe it comes up in some way, maybe. But, like, uh, there's not going to be real focus on that. And it's like, he is the past. He is the past of the franchise. And he's tarnished his role in that past, too. Let's forget it. Like, Pat Murphy, Ricky Weeks, they're the present. They're going to be the future. Like, I get why everyone is leaning in that direction. And... Look, there's no doubt that Pat Murphy and Craig Council have a very, very strong relationship, as 37 years is no joke. 
Um, it's more than you and I can actually talk about, as like, because we have not been on the planet for that length of time. It doesn't, it doesn't just disappear. I think he's right to say it will change. But I think he wasn't even diplomatic. I think it was just handled very well. I even I I caught a couple of kind of TV spots he did where he was asked in less, we'll say, sensitive ways about, you know, what he knew and how things were. And it's, he just kind of batted it all away. And it's like, yeah, we got a good relationship. But Craig made his decision and all I cared about then was the Brewers. And I don't like, I'll be honest, don't know if that's entirely true because I'm sure when Craig made his decision, some part of Pat Murphy at some point gave some thought to the Cubs, or and I'm sure the phone was picked up and thought was given to that. But I I don't think it could be handled any better from Murphy's perspective, and it does really feel like there's just a vibe from the organization, from the media. It's like, yeah, let's just let's just forget about this guy at this point. Like he's made his choice, so. Let's move on. And if I was the manager, and as you said, I mean, if, if like, Andrew, you and I are great friends. If we were both MLB managers, I would definitely be motivated to beat your team. Like, that's, that is part of friendship, too. It's not like, oh, you know, we're going to be going up against him. They're in the same division. Like, particularly, look at how he talks in that press conference. The way that Pat Murphy shows friendship, shows affection, is... You know, he wants to beat the shit out of your team. Sorry, Ty. And he wants to he wants to really rub it in. He wants to win the division. I'd be like, hey, Craig, hope that money is good over there in Chicago. It's like, that's what he's going to want to do. He's that type of guy. I'd want to fuck you up, Adam. I just want to get that on record. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pat Murphy seems like the kind of guy. It's November. They're having a nice dinner, maybe steak and wine. I don't know what they like to eat. And then uh, Pat, just from nowhere, out of his back pocket, pulls a newspaper with the standings. And it's like, what does that say, Craig? Does that say the Brewers won the NL Central? Oh, interesting. That seems like Pat Murphy's uh, style. So, yes, I agree that I think between the lines, he's going to want to rub Craig's face in the dirt. Um uh, yeah, and you know we don't know what his tactical uh, style as a manager is going to be. We don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, a lot of uh, decision making, especially on uh, uh, relievers and bullpen usage and starting pitcher usage, is going to come with the uh, work between the manager's office and the front office. So we'll see how that shakes out uh, in 2024, and we'll see what he has to work with. But I think um, to this point, uh, post Craig and the introduction of Pat in, in the new role, I think uh, like he's said all the right things that you can't say in November. Um, and, you know, we won't know what the future with him and, and Ricky and uh, the rest of the staff looks like until we see it on the field. But uh, a notable thing that people called out and like, I don't know how, like, is this the norm or is it not? But the entire like coaching staff coming to the press conference and being there as a sign of support, uh, I, I don't think it's nothing. Obviously, it's, you know, it is what it is. But it it made me and I some of our listeners talk about this in the Discord while it was happening. Like, what does that say about how they feel about Murphy? And also, what does it say about how they feel about Craig doing what he did? Like, I don't know. It seems like a room full of people that probably want to shove it up his ass. I think there's something interesting to that. I mean, it's aside from let's not 
now kind of ascribe loyalty to all down the staff and be like, yeah, well, they wanted to, they wouldn't have moved. But there is something to be said about how you feel about a guy who leaves you for more money and he doesn't even have the opportunity to, you know, bring you along. Or that's not there. It's not like, oh, you know, I've got more money, so I'm bringing all my boys with me and we're all going to get more too. Like, that hasn't been how it is. So part of that is possibly down to the brewers digging in on contracts, but it's still, it doesn't allow, like, that level of easy win and it does create a feeling you've got to feel among those guys or it's like it was a selfish decision and they may kind of vary on a scale of you know he made the decision that's right for him and you know good for him it's, you know always like craig or they may just be like i thought we were all doing something here together been here all these years and that's how he goes about it well screw him we'll find out i mean i I do think it's interesting. It's just performative, like it's it's part of the show, but it's 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 a show of solidarity. It's a show of support for Pat Murphy, and I would also imagine that, with a couple of exceptions, obviously, like your pitching coach is going to be in a higher spot in your pecking order, but down the staff, I think a lot of those guys probably are closer in a day-to-day sense to the bench coach, a long-time bench coach, than they were at the manager. Like, there's a natural pecking order at play here, and look, I don't know this for sure, but my assumption would have been that Murph may have been some kind of, I guess, uh, liaison between different parts of the staff. And a lot of ideas would be folded in through that way, where then, I guess, at the top ends of staff, that's where decisions are made. So it could also just be reflective of, well, here's a guy that they all have a lot of respect and time for and have had a really strong working relationship and maybe a closer working relationship. We'll see. Adam, I think we've uh, we've covered everything, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I think so. Do you want to talk about Vegas? The A's? Uh, no, we can save that for later date. I don't have any of the stuff pulled up, so we can work that into the grades episode. Um, I'm fine leaving that. I think John Fisher's a despicable human being. Um, uh, a fuck weasel, uh, if, if I'm going to be descriptive about how I view him. Um, and I just think uh, when like you release a like a report about the viability of a franchise in a market and all of the evidence points towards it not being successful and then you're like yeah but i'm voting for it i think it's just like tells you everything you need to know about the mlb owners and and kind of like their entire mindset and their set of values uh like the, just abandoning the city of oakland when they were literally literally ready to give you 900 million dollars towards the ballpark it's that's disgusting You've got the teachers union in Las Vegas protesting the use of public funds on whatever the Vegas stadium would be. Obviously, they don't know even know where they're going to play. Uh, they've got one more, like another year in Oakland, which, God, what is that? This season was dead rubber. What's 2024 going to look like if you play in Oakland again? And then you go play in a triple-A park for three years, and you also they, they may to ask the They Giants. may continue playing in Oakland, even. I saw that. They haven't ruled that out that there'd be another season in Oakland. If I'm Oakland, I fucking demolish the stadium before I let them play another game there. Like, um, like they're just such scumbags. Just the worst people. The worst. 
They're not serious people. Hope it fails. I hope it fails. I hope nobody goes to games in Vegas. I hope they're moving the team to, like, uh, Nashville in 20 years because they failed in Vegas. Vegas doesn't have any real sports fans, so I don't care about them. I care about the people of Oakland, Adam. I, I always have been very, very skeptical about the whole Vegas thing and every major league being in a rush to get there because it feels like you get to the point where all the major leagues are there. I don't think the market can sustain that. I like you're you're gonna Especially hit baseball. the upper the upper limit of that. I I think baseball I would have had major concerns about hockey, but guess what? They were smart. They got in first and they've they've got a championship and everything to show for it. Like that's if anything, like that's Vegas's team. Like if there's any sense of that, they got there early enough to do that. But like there's always in this thing of, you know, well, the NBA expansion's going to come around. Their next LeBron is always had his eye on owning the Vegas franchise. By the time you get that all the big shows are in town, I think that is very, very tough. And you're building you're building a weird franchise. Like you're building this weird transient fan base, which is doesn't have the kind of base that in any other city, even smaller cities, even cities with struggling fan bases, a city like Oakland that you decide you don't want to have a team in, there is at least there is a base that you can build from, that you can anchor a team around that is much tougher and has always been talked about historically as, you know, a concern around Vegas. I won't pretend to be the expert, but I I do have questions about like, well, this is going to be the third show to arrive in town honestly i know i bet you an nba franchise could get up get set up maybe quicker like the arena is there that's the thing if the nba open up expansion you could have a team up and running in vegas before the a's get to vegas in a major league ballpark at that point you really were kind of last to the party and you're you're dealing with leftovers and the NHL, that team, they got lucky with that because they were good right away. Obviously, they team built, so they did a good job with that. Uh, the NFL, too big to fail, fine. I just think yeah. N- the I think MLB falls flat on its face in Vegas, personally. Um, it's an, an entirely different beast to what's already existed there and even what could exist there in the NBA. And also, it's, it's the long-term sustainability, not like once the shine is off the new toy – like, what does it look like? Like, building sustainable success and fans like the Brewers have done, for example, um, like, is tough to do in a small market. And also, like, who's getting out of the casino and the strip club at uh, 5 in the morning, going to bed and then being waking up and being like, I came here to go to a baseball game, and I'm going to do that now. Bad example, because that's probably what I would do uh, that's in that situation. Uh, that's exactly, you would You would be at every game. Yeah, Um New Numac wouldn't come with me. He'd stay at the strip club, you know, just knowing like what he likes to do on weekends. Um, but I would be at the baseball game, but most people would not be. Yeah, I'm no comment that one. Uh I think is that it? Are we done? Will we talk will we talk about the rest of that some other time? We sure will. I could I could hopefully tell the listener what's coming next. Next week, probably. Yes, we'll do it. We'll do it regardless. Starting pitcher grades. Regardless? Well, I mean, I don't think enough is going to happen to where we could have a full episode on news. Well, a trade could happen. 
I'm trying to speak it into existence by promising you starting pitching grades. Will a starting pitcher have been moved by then? Time will tell. All right, well, Andrew's made a promise, and uh, there's probably a good chance to break that promise. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll be back next week to do something regardless. I do want to say, uh, just so he doesn't get mad at me, that was all fake news about Numak. He's very wholesome. He may have already stopped listening in a rage by the time you you got your apology in there, but he made me I'll... listen to a seventeen minute Arlo Guthrie song over the weekend, so he owes me. I'll leave you two to like do that one out together. You know, I'm I'm Switzerland with this. As always, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's cruising for bruising for all things Malky Brewers. You should also check out. Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed here at GSPN, which is home to the Eurostep with Tywin Shamron Caddy and Within Six with myself and Jordan Tresky, our two Milwaukee Books podcasts, all in the one feed. Don't look down, Andrew, but the books have got something cooking. Talking to Tundra for all things Green Bay Packers with the aforementioned, you know, sainted Numak and Jordan Tresky. Packers win. How about that? I last point on me is least. For movies, pop culture, all that kind of stuff. More from Andrew and I. Make time for this. That's not even a podcast. I'm not just giving you instructions. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Adam. <laughs>